Good morning, everyone. It's good to uh, come together again and to continue on, as Jill says, in our series, which is under the general umbrella of showing our Saviour the way that we live ought to reflect well upon Him, and then specifically trying to be fruitful on our front lines of operation. So that's where we're at, and today we're going to think about ministering grace and love. Now, I'm sure that you'll agree with me that some things are fairly easy to learn, aren't they? It's not a rhetorical question, it's yes, some things are easy to learn. You put your hand in the fire and you know you're going to get burned. That's a pretty easy thing to discover. You see a clean desk and you very quickly learn that it's got a very cluttered desk drawer. You understand that kind of thing, don't you? Those who laugh last are the slowest thinkers. Now you you learn that very quickly too, don't you? You never want to test the depth of water by jumping in with both feet, do you? That's a lesson to learn very easily. And the sooner you fall behind, of course you learn, the more time you've got to catch up. Now some things are easy to learn. Some things are quite surprising to learn. I discovered this week that pigs cannot look up at the sky. Ooh, is that true, Sean? That is, well, I believe it's true. I found that quite surprising. As I did, the fact that kissing for one minute can burn 26 calories. (laughs) Now, now folks, who's up for losing some weight this morning? (laughs) That will add a new dimension to blessing each other with a holy kiss. Now, another surprising thing is, you see, that Albert Einstein could never remember his telephone number. I was really blessed to read that. I don't know why, but I was. I discovered that Charlie Chaplin once came third in a Chaplin lookalike contest. <laughs> That's a surprising thing to learn. Seven, well, I didn't really get too surprised by this, but it might surprise some of you. Cats sleep for 70% of their lives. Hey, did you know that? <laughs> it's good, isn't it? And uh, here's something I found interesting. You know that lion that was used in the MGM logo? You know, when you watch a film and it... You know that lion? You know, it killed its train the day after that scene was filmed. Yeah, that's a surprising thing, isn't it? And what about this? The book that says, Thou shalt not steal, which is the Bible, is the most shoplifted book in the country. (laughs) Isn't that a surprising thing? I think, of course, I take that as uh, true value. But as uh, Abraham Lincoln said, the trouble with quotes on the internet is that you can never know if they're genuine or not. (laughs) Some things are plain easy to learn. Some things are quite surprising to learn. Some things, of course, are vitally important to learn. CPR, the Heimlich Maneuver. Both of those can save lives, not to mention the fact that I think there's a fine line between fishing and standing on the shore looking like an idiot. That's something vitally important to learn. 
But altogether, when you think about it, there are some things that are plain easy to learn, quite surprising to learn, and vitally important to learn if we are going to achieve our goal of wanting to be fruitful on our front lines and show off our Saviour to his glory and to other people's good in this world. And the one thing that we want to grasp on this morning in putting those things together is that it pays to be kind. That is hopefully a truth that is easy to learn, might be surprising to learn, but it's vitally important for us all to learn this morning as we work through this ministering grace and love. Mark Green calls it ministering grace and love. I think the phrase in the Bible that you come across most often to reflect that truth is loving kindness. We've got a God who's full of loving kindness. His compassion fails not. And we need to reflect that in the way that we put our love into action for him. After all, as Mark Twain said, and I love this, he said, Kindness is a language which the deaf can hear and the blind can read. Isn't that lovely? You know, we need to learn this truth. And more than I might wish that I was clever enough to say such things, I truly pray that I might be kind enough to do such things. Kindness pays. I tell you, a surefire way to win friends and influence people is to be kind. To be kind. One way to tear down walls and build bridges between people is to be kind. Minister grace and love. Kindness can be the sweetener in the tea of marriage and of Christian fellowship. It pays to be kind. And therefore, is it asking too much to suggest that we become ministers of grace and love? That we try a little kindness once in a while? I tried to think about how you define kindness And I guess this was as good as I could come up with. Kindness, which we're calling ministering grace and love, is treating others the way that God has treated you. Treating others the way that God has treated you. You can think about your own definition, but I don't know about you, but I don't want to become someone in whom the milk of human kindness has curdled. Do you? I want to minister... In God's name, grace and love to others because grace and love was ministered to me in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we're here to remember and to celebrate this morning. Amen? Good news. Good news indeed. Now the Bible tells us that we are to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So not only do we have a motive, but as Paul says to the Galatians, we've got a mandate. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Isn't that lovely? Now the point of the story that we're going to discover this morning, and we know it very well, is that yes, we've got a motive for wanting to be kind. Yes, we've got a mandate for needing to be kind. But God has given us a mission to go out and be kind and be ministers of his grace and love. 
That's how we're fruitful on our front lines. Not by holding our kindness in, but by getting our kindness out. And so we have this story of the Good Samaritan. And I know it's a story that we know very well, and I know it's one that we can't take too much time in thinking about this morning, but let's just think about it in three simple ways. First of all, if we're going to be ministers of grace and love, we've got to understand these truths. First of all, we see a man in this story that was overcome. He was overcome. He was overcome by robbers. He was overcome by injury. He was overcome by pain and the problems that arose in his life due to it. He was overcome by the sheer hopelessness of his situation. And Jesus sums it all up for us like this. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Half dead. Here is a man that's overtaken by the lust of those who believe that what is yours is mine. I am going to take it. And it's horrible, isn't it? When you meet somebody that has been overcome. And yet on our front lines, wherever it is we go, wherever it is we find ourselves, wherever it is we work, wherever it is we play, we're always going to find those people who in some form or another have been overcome. Maybe not by the most obvious thieves, robbers who take our money, but perhaps we'll come across people who've been overcome by other thieves, the rapist that takes a person's innocence. The adulterer who steals somebody else's spouse. The politician who overclaims at the taxpayer's expense. The footballer who takes a dive in the penalty box. They're all trying to take what doesn't rightly belong to them. And perhaps, if I can say this, the worst of all is the preacher who waters down the authority of God's word and drifts into a sea of subjectivity as they try to accommodate popular thought and contemporary culture because they will be robbing people of their very souls. And everywhere we go and whoever we meet, there are those that have been overcome by something. And we need to be aware of it. This smart Alec lawyer that Jesus was telling the story to answer his question. The question was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There are a lot of people who know the story of the Good Samaritan, as we call it. They don't understand the setting of it. They think that salvation is found in just going out and being kind. But Jesus is trying to tell this smart Alec lawyer, that is not the way to be saved. Yes, you know what the law demands... Love God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind and love your neighbour as yourself. Yeah, you've got it in your head. But he never had it in his heart. Because the law was there to reveal what we couldn't possibly do ourselves and lead us to the one who in his kindness could do it for us, Jesus Christ. This lawyer was overcome with his own self-righteousness, thinking that his own goodness was enough to save him. And Jesus, because he loved him, gave him the story to reveal that that's not the truth. Not to hurt him, but to help him. And we're here this morning taking bread and wine, not because we're trusting in our own goodness, 
our own ability to minister grace and love, our own acts of kindness. We're here to celebrate God's kindness to us as sinners in Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us who were overcome in our sin and left beaten in our sense of own helplessness when it came to getting us back on track with God. There are people everywhere we look that are being overcome. Maybe you're here this morning, overcome with the worries that you've got that are stealing your peace. Overcome with the failures that you believe are robbing you of hope. Overcome with the doubts that question your very faith. Overcome with your sense of loss that can snatch your joy. I don't know what is overcoming you, but I hope as we celebrate the Lord's death and resurrection for us, that you can be ministered to in your heart, in your situation, in your life, with his grace and his love and his heart for you. Amen? The second thing, not only was this a man overcome, he was also a man, very sadly, that was overlooked. For Jesus continues the story by telling us in verse 31, both a priest and a Levite, when they had seen the man, passed by on the other side. Now I want you to notice that they didn't not look over at him. Jesus is quite clear. They looked over at him. They saw him. The tragedy was that they overlooked him. They did nothing about what they saw when they saw this man beaten to within an inch of his life. Isn't that a terrible thing? I think perhaps the two people that we might most have thought would have ministered grace and love to this man in need were the ones that Jesus said passed by on the other side. These were the religious representation. In the story, these were God's people. To put it in a way that we might better understand, the priest represented those of us in the pulpit, and the Levite represented those of us in the pew. And it strikes me that as Jesus says that the priest and the Levite, too, like the very man himself who's beaten, they had been going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, which I think has some significance in the sense that, of course, Jerusalem was the place of worship. They were going down having worshipped. They were coming out of church when they saw the need before them, which only adds to the tragedy that what they looked over, they overlooked. But can't that happen to us? The times when you think we would be the most sensitive to what the Spirit is saying to us, in terms of wanting to be a minister of his grace and his love, those are the times when, you know, we can be the most blind, the most deaf. Because we've got to rush on and do something. Go wherever it is we've got to go. Do whatever it is we want to do. And how often, even our front lines, we can overlook much that we see because we don't think we've got a moment to go over and do something kind about it. The problem here is not lust. What's yours is mine, I'm going to take it. The problem here is the law that limits us to the point where we say what's mine is mine, I'm going to keep it. And therefore we can, we can rob people in another way, can't we? 
Not by taking something from them. That's one way to rob somebody. But by keeping something from them. That's another way to rob somebody. James tells us in James chapter 4 and verse 17, anyone who knows the good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Sins. There are are people overcome who must not be overlooked because we are here to be ministers of God's grace for them in their lives. Proverbs 3.27 says, Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to act. Folks, we are God's hand on our front line. Our response is God's response to what we see. Our gift is God's gift to meet the need that is there right in front of our eyes. But so often people get overlooked. We can't afford to do it because we're commanded to love our neighbour even if our neighbour, as is the situation here, is our worst enemy. Jesus said, what are we going to do about our enemies? We're going to kick them in the shins? (laughs) We're going to love them. We're going to love them. Because all of this is a reflection of him who, as his enemies, came in Christ to love us back to life and to give us true hope. It's easy, isn't it? And I put myself here. The story is not told just simply to make us feel guilty. It's just to give us a wake-up call to what we cannot achieve in ourselves, but what is possible in and through knowing Christ. Because our good works don't save us, But by our good works, we're showing our Saviour off in a way that reflects the truth that we have been saved. Please, God, don't let us overlook anybody that we happen to come across in our lives. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, You cannot do a kindness too soon, for you never know how soon it will be too late. Remember what the poet said? I might have shared this before, but it always stirs me. He said, I have wept in the night for the shortness of sight that to somebody's need made me blind. But I never have yet felt a twinge of regret for being a little too kind. The lust that where we want what somebody else has got says, what's yours is mine, I'm going to take it. The law so often limits us to the very place where what is mine, I'm going to keep it. But thank God it's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. We're here to minister God's grace. I liked, Brenda, what you put on Facebook this week. Brenda Greenwood. Brenda gets some good stuff up there. And I did like this. Your job is not to judge. It is not to figure out if somebody deserves something. Your job is to lift the fallen, restore the broken, and heal the hurting. I think it's a good summary, don't you? So thanks for posting that, Brenda. And I think you'll have a lot of Facebook friends after this morning's message. Okay, let's move on to the last thing here then. It's a man that was overcome, man that was overlooked, but praise God. So we're here to minister grace and love, here to try a little bit of kindness, something that we're desperate to learn, even if it's surprising us, because it's vital for us. We see in one man in this story... Somebody who was happy to oversee the need. Jesus puts it like this. A Samaritan, as he travelled, took pity on him. 
went to him, bandaged his wounds, put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. There wasn't a single thing that this Samaritan, and by the way, Jesus never called him good. Told you that before. He never called him good. We headed up the Good Samaritan. Jesus never called him good. This is the normal natural behavior of people who are living out the flow of love that God has in them. It's the natural way that we ought to live as believers in Christ. But this Samaritan oversaw everything. There wasn't a need he didn't meet. There wasn't a length to which he was not prepared to go in ministering grace and love. And you know, whenever you see a person in need, what you see is your neighbour. What you see is your neighbour. And when you see your neighbour, you become a minister with a ministry. A ministry of grace and love. A ministry of kindness that is personified through what you do and how you go about it and the way you perform it. And I love the way that this Samaritan did the most obvious thing first. He just went to him, bandaged his wounds, poured on oil and wine, set him on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of him. You know, he helped the man in the most obvious way. He didn't go over and read him a gospel tract, did he? (laughs) You know, where would have been the sense in that? When the man got better, he would have wanted to know. Remember, it's only a story. Jesus is telling the story to make a particular point. You know? But love has got to be discerning, hasn't it? It's got to meet the need as you understand that need to be. And this Samaritan meets it in the most obvious and the most practical way. That's why Jesus told the story, because he loved the man who he was telling the story to. Because he knew that the man had to be convicted of his own self-righteousness if he was to have a chance of inheriting eternal life, which is the question he asked in the first place. And I love the fact that he didn't make any excuses, don't you? (laughs) I don't know why the priest and the Levite didn't stop. I've heard many messages on the possibility of that. But I do know that Spurgeon once said, I never knew a person refused to help the poor who failed to give at least one admirable excuse. (laughs) I like that. And the Samaritan could have argued. He said, this, this, this is somebody that hates me. They hate my race. I won't give you all the reasons for that now. Many of you will know them, but that's the truth of it. He could have used that as an excuse. He could have said, well, I've got other things to do. You know, he was traveling somewhere. He was off to do something. He had to put it aside to move over and oversee the need of somebody that he wasn't prepared to overlook because he took pity on him. And that word took pity on him is the Greek word splagnitsomai, which literally means that from the gut he was moved to such a point that he couldn't do anything but help. And it's a word that's only ever used of a character in a story that Jesus told or of the Lord Jesus himself because this story reflects him who is so moved 
when he sees humankind in its sinful plight, in its hopelessness, beaten half to death because of the way it lives and the way it rebels and the way it goes about things, that it cannot and it will not move on without stepping in to do something about the situation. Bread and wine. This is our God. This is the God who ministers grace and love to us. And as we show our Saviour, we go and minister grace and love to others. Maybe they don't need to be bandaged up. Maybe they just need a little note of encouragement. Maybe they just need a listening ear. Maybe they just need a hand on their shoulder. Maybe they need somebody to take them to an appointment. Maybe they need somebody to say, do you know what, I'll stay behind for an hour after work so that we can get this project cracked together. I don't know what it is. It may not be a momentous thing in your mind. It may be a small thing, but it's a ministry of grace and love because it pays to be kind. And we're trying to learn to show a little kindness. And if you're not going to make an excuse, you're going to act upon what you see. Yeah, it'll take commitment. It'll take courage. It'll take a cost. It's not just money that is involved here, but of course the cost of time, isn't it? You can't just pencil in your diary, Monday morning 9 to 10, show compassion. (laughs) You know, it's not the kind of thing you can put in your diary like that, is it? Because you respond to where you are with who you're with, what they're going through. And you never know when you're going to see that person that's overcome. The challenge is that in seeing them overcome, don't overlook them. Oversee what you can do to help them. This is basic Christianity 101. But I find, I don't know about you, I find I'm having to continue to remember these things. I've got to continue to give people the benefit of the doubt. I've got to continue to measure what I do for them by what God in Christ has done for me. And I find if I do that, I'm better able to oversee. But you know, what I think he oversees wonderfully is the continuance that's called for here because we're told at the end of the story... That he says to the owner of the inn, look after him. When I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And and I don't know about you, but but I find that paying the initial cost, giving the initial time, making the initial effort is one thing. But actually committing with the courage and the cost to continue in the care that somebody may need is really going the extra mile. And that can be the biggest reflection of ministry when it comes to grace and love, can't it? Because we can all be good at stepping in for the emergency, but actually staying the course for the duration is a great challenge, isn't it? I think it is. Well, the story ends and we're coming to the table of the Lord, but isn't it wonderful that the Lord finished it like that? He simply said, over to you, go and do likewise. And that's it. That's it. Of course, for the lawyer, this religious expert in the law, of course, he realized that he couldn't go and do likewise. 
Because the Lord was there to show him actually that he fell short of what was possible when it came to loving others and to loving God. But for those of us who know Christ, been born again by the Spirit, who live in his love and display that ministry of his grace and his mercy, over to you. Let's go and put into practice what we're learning. We didn't get to see the story up there, you'll see it later, but in one sense I'm almost glad we didn't. Because I think it's good for us to know that we are ministers of God's grace and mercy in the simple things. I read, and let's finish with this, I read about a little boy who in the Second World War was without shoes on his feet and socks on his feet and he was shivering and he was in America and he was standing over one of those grates outside a bakery. You know, do you remember that Marilyn Monroe scene? You wouldn't remember it because you're too spiritual. He was trying to warm himself up under this grate with the hot air that was coming up to keep his feet nice and warm. And a shoemaker came out of the shop, looked at the little boy, thought, what on earth can I do for him? And then he went back in. And then a lady came along, saw him, and she said, son, come with me. Took him into the shoe shop, bought him some socks and shoes. And the little boy said to the lady, he said, can I ask you a question? She said, yeah, what is it? He said, are you God's wife? (laughs) And the lady said, no, I'm not God's wife. I'm just one of his children. And the little boy said, I knew you were kin somewhere along the line. (laughs) Isn't that lovely? You know, let's go and show our saviour. Let's try a little kindness. Let's minister grace and love in simple things. But let's do it in a way that blesses those who've got need. And brings honour to the God that we know and love and have a heart to want to serve fruitfulness on the front line we're coming to the table of the Lord can I just point out as we do this that in the pews are some envelopes that are entitled the Barnabas Fund now I very seldom do this but I came in this morning and saw it and I realized what I was speaking on and the Barnabas Fund is a fund that we set up here in the church that is voluntary of course there's no pressure But there are people, there are situations, there are needs that come to us as a fellowship, particularly to me as the minister, that we would like to be able to effectively and fruitfully meet. And one of the ways that we can do that is through the gifts that we're able to give to help and support people that have got genuine need. And that's done through the Barnabas Fund. And so if you'd like to give at any time to the Barnabas Fund, you just put it in there. And our treasurer will take it, make a note of it. And when I have a situation that I'm confronted with, as I often am, but maybe this money can help that particular person meet that particular need, then we put it for that cause. So it's there, I noticed it, so forgive me for mentioning it, but what an opportunity to do so. Let's take a moment to pray. Let's bow our heads. Father, we know that you've been so gracious and loving towards us. And Lord, we want a life that truly goes out to live what we know. Help us not to measure ourselves against each other. Help us not to think that we're doing more than we actually are. But on the other hand, Lord, help us not to think that the little that we do counts for nothing. Because it counts for much. Help us, we pray, simply this week, to have eyes that are open to what you want us to see. Hearts that are attuned to the cry of other people's hearts. And Lord, that energy, that commitment, that courage, 
that's willing to continue to pay the cost to do what we can in your name, to be a helping hand and to get people that have been overcome back on their feet again, that they might get to the place where they'll discover that you are a God who overlooks no one, but has overseen salvation for them in the Lord Jesus. So bless us, we pray, as we go out with that aim. Strengthen us for the task and equip us for all that lies ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.